0: Hello, friends and fiends of the pod. This is a brand new mini episode of Cult and Classic. As always, I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, comedian and film critic. Uh, You can check out my reviews at horrornews.net and right here at cultandclassicpodcast.com. As always, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Nate Wyckoff. And uh, this week, we've got an awesome uh, movie triple feature recommendation of forgotten films based on video games. Uh, video game films have a very, very muddy history. As we know, there's been the um, often maligned Mario Brothers film, for good reason. There's been uh, the recent dish flops of Assassin's Creed and several Doom films. Uh, there's there's a reason. A lot of video games don't have great stories behind them, and trying to pro prod and, and tweak that into some sort of narrative that you can cram into a film can be difficult work. And before you start with all the commenting, uh, there are some video games with fantastic writing as well. Uh, we, of course, just had The Last of Us Part Two launch last week, so th- there's good stuff. But these these are, are of a different breed. First up, we've got uh, a film based on the the granddaddy of all side-scrolling beat-em-up games. Uh, And yes, I'm I'm saying over uh, River City Ransom, we're talking about Double Dragon. Double Dragon, the video game, uh, was created by Technos Japan. It was released in arcades in 1987. Uh, It became real popular in the 90s. It's it's always been fairly popular. They did an animated series in 1983, and in 94, they did this film adaptation. Now, the director of this film, he actually didn't direct a huge amount uh, of of films, per se, but he directed a gajillion, and I mean gajillion uh, music videos, uh, including some really fantastic ones like David Bowie's Modern Love, 1983, um, lots of uh, Iron Maiden, Genesis, Phil Collins, Pat Benatar, um, Mike and Mechanics, lots and lots and lots of stuff. So uh, a very talented and skilled director, um, but not not a huge amount of, of films under... under uh, his belt. Um, one interesting thing, if, if you do find music uh, directors turned film directors interesting, check out The Return of Bruno with Bruce Willis. It is a strange comedy thing. I don't even know how to describe it. You're just gonna have to check it out for yourself. Um, but anyway, that, that uh, director is James Yukic, and uh, it could be Yukik. I do not know how to pronounce it. I've never met Mr. Yukich. But um, this film, those of you who've watched over and over again, the Super Mario Brothers film, will sort of be familiar with this weird tendency for uh, video game adaptations in the 90s to go sort of post-apocalyptic, mutant dingy streets. It's a really weird thing for kids' movies. I'm not sure I get it, but I do enjoy it. Uh, the The story for this is written by Neil Schusterman and Paul Dini. Paul Dini, fantastic comic book writer and TV writer, um, probably best known for uh, being the the writer who created uh, Harley Quinn with um, artist Bruce Timm uh, for the Batman the Animated Series. And uh, he's currently writing some of the Harley uh, television show and and lots of other things. So a very good writer. The story, um, I'm not sure that that particularly impresses anyone when you see the film. The screenplay is by Michael Davis and Peter Gould. Um, Michael Davis is actually, did uh, a lot of art directing uh, and in production um he also wrote uh shoot Him up in 2007 um, some other some other films that uh, 100 girls directed uh things like that most interesting to me i think is that he was uh, in the art department for teenage mutant Ninja turtles 2 the secret of the ooze the art direction in that film was probably the strongest part of that movie i mean we're talking about the subway sewer set um of course the the costuming and makeup and design for um the the shredders baby mutants stuff like that is really fascinating so so i mean not not bad writing talent here um neil Schusterman is he did a lot of kids television in the 90s uh he was a writer for animorphs for goosebumps uh things of that nature and uh, arlstein's haunting hour was probably um he wrote a couple of episodes. Uh, but anyway, so there's some talent. If you just looked on paper, there's some interesting talent in this film. Um, the The two brothers, which make up Double Dragon for the video games, uh, Jimmy Lee and Billy Lee, both martial artists in in the, the game's lore, are played uh, by Mark uh, Tukaskis, who who uh, is well-known for playing Luke Khan and Mortal Kombat Legacy um, and... Uh, what else are we looking at? Lots of stuff. I mean, you'll definitely recognize uh, Mark if if you're not familiar. Um, of course, the chairman for Iron Chef America is probably where most of America will recognize it. But those of us who listen to this podcast are not most America. I would say you might recognize him most recently from John Wick, Chapter 3, Replace Zero. Uh, great actor, um, great martial artist, fun stuff. The The other... Uh, brother is, of course, played by Scott Wolfe. Um, he's the not smart one, the impetuous one, the Michelangelo of the group, one might say, uh, most well known for Party of Five. But um, he's also done a lot of martial arts stuff as well, if you look through his, um, his repertoire of film histories. He was also, uh, I thought it was fascinating, uh, recognizing him as a waitstaff at the Max um, restaurant in Saved by the Bell back in the 90s as well. Uh, He's also, if you look real close, you can spot him as one of the gang thugs in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So everything cycles back to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So this is, this film, how how do I describe this film other than a post-apocalyptic future romp made for kids that is, an absolute mess and kind of a joy to behold. Uh, It actually feels exactly like what you'd imagine Tank Girl, minus the weird sexuality, animatronic, uh, marsupials, and um, any adult content. That's pretty much exactly what this movie feels like. And I, I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, I don't understand how that would, that, that even would be a movie. Um, but it is, and if you watch it, I guarantee you, you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. There's big uh, monsters, there's some references to the game that are built up um, around completely not game canon things. Um, force feeding of a giant fat mutant is one of the best scenes in this film. Uh, and Robert Patrick, um, of course, most famous for being T-1000 in Terminator 2, um, and also uh, being in those, those middle-end lost seasons of X-Files, uh, replacing our wonderful David Duchovny. Uh, he plays the villain with this crazy Guy Fieri bleached hair. It's, it's a sight to behold. Um, and even those scenes with him, I mean, they're, they're straight out of Tank Girl. And uh, that, that's very fascinating to me. But this movie is a lot of fun. It's not written well. It's not uh, interesting to anyone except for those of us who like weird sort of borderline inappropriate children's movies with lots of practical effects. Um, there's also some bad 3D thrown in there. I mean, this is 1994 and we're not talking Terminator 2. Uh, this is the beginning of the film. Let's listen to this clip uh, where the brothers are, are in a car and they're blazing through the streets running from a, a gang. Here we go. Yeah, well, we needed to practice. Yeah, well, you might be getting a whole lot more. Hey, clowns. Those guys are gnarly. Hey, 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 hey. Pick with a two o'clock and she is my type. Pull over. Pull over. I really don't think this is... And, uh, and that is uh, the kind of dialogue you're gonna be getting in this film. And that is to say, not very exciting. Um, but the visuals really sell this one. The costumes are, are doofy. Um, the practical effects and the monsters are pretty great. Um, the costuming and hair and makeup is questionable. Um, that other voice you heard in there, the other female voice, I believe is Julia Nixon. Uh, and, and she's probably the best acting talent in that scene. But again, uh, you heard what was there, and it wasn't much. Uh, we also have some, some some attempts at jokes in this film, uh, as every 90s kid's movie should have. I will say that this one, between uh, those that were successful in the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and those that were unsuccessful in all of Roller Gator, I'm gonna put this somewhere dead in the middle here. Let's take a listen. This must be the place Abobo Bobo was talking about. Slick joke. Yeah, that's the tagline uh, that they chose for uh, highlighting the jokes in this movie. Slick joke. I don't know what a slick joke is, but it sounds not family friendly. Uh, we've also got, like I said before, some appearances from characters in the game, like Boa Bobo uh, and and some other characters, Whip Lady, things like that. It's fascinating. If you've played the games, then uh, it's definitely worth a watch. If you like 90s nostalgia films, it's worth a watch. And if you like things like... Um, Three Ninjas uh, and Surf Ninjas with Ernie Reyes Jr. Then give this one a watch. It's it's worth it. I will I will give you that. Next up on our tour of forgotten video game films is 2005's DOA Dead or Alive. Now um, it's 2005 or 2006, depending on whether you look at the production or the release date. Uh, but this is this was a kind of a high profile flub at the time. Uh, Dead or Alive is a series of games that's still going on, uh, like. Double Dragon. Um, it's produced by Tecmo. That's not tech knows, but Tecmo and Team Ninja. Um, they do a lot of great games and they have for a long time. Dead or Alive is a fighting game, sort of uh, 3D iterations, um, post Street Fighter tech and that sort of thing. Um, mostly famous for a, um, a combo system where you can uh, f- feign and uh, counter attacks, and uh, let's be honest, uh, jiggle physics on women's breasts and bums. And that is pretty much what all the people uh, waiting for this movie expected. And it's, it's a weird beast. Uh, for a film that you think would be heavy on TNA, it does have a lot of bikinis and a lot of women uh, fighting each other. What it doesn't have is sex appeal, uh, any sort of adult situations, anything like that. Um, It's a very child-oriented TNA flick with no nudity. There is a scene with nudity that was cut out of the film so it could get a PG-13 rating. I honestly don't understand how it has a PG-13 rating. I mean, uh, being in a bathing suit does not PG-13 make. Uh, The director is Corey Yun, who is a phenomenal action director and martial arts choreographer. He's worked on pretty much the biggest Uh, martial arts films in US release, as well as the biggest uh, martial arts films uh, in in the uh, Chinese and Hong Kong market. So very, very, very prolific and successful director and uh, fight choreographer. This is actually the last film uh, in 2006 that uh, he directed. it's a weird film to end on. Uh, there's, there are stories that uh, on set because they tried to get a ton of different martial artists from different uh, countries and styles. That there was uh, anywhere from uh, 12 to 30 something different languages on set at any given time. And it made directing and wrangling of cast and crew uh, an impossible task. I'm not sure we see that impact in the film itself because the script is, is not great. Um, which is which is very strange because there 's actually some writing talent behind this one, kind of like double dragon um, we 've got uh, the the scriptwriter for Pretty Woman, uh, as well as under siege and Chain Reaction um, j f Lawton uh, He can write uh, this movie does not have good writing i 'm going to say that right off the bat no good, no bueno um, there is uh, there are three. Uh, actor excuse me three writers adam gross and seth gross make up the other two uh the writing team they've worked on a little bit uh they've worked on devour the 2005 film um bill nye the science guy they were writers for so i mean they they worked uh, but i would not say that there was by any stretch as prolific as jf lawton who also is credited with creating the story for this film the story is uh also not a good not a good one. We've got the typical, um, some guy in this case, Eric Roberts, doing his best Eric Roberts impersonation, uh, getting a bunch of fighters together to download by watching their fights their skill sets onto uh, a, a mini disc, which I guess in 2006 was still a thing, and uh, downloading it into his own brain so he can become a master fighter. I don't really understand the idea of putting Eric Roberts into a martial arts flick, but here we go. Uh, Let's listen to him introducing all of the fighters who were dropped via airplane uh, to this island uh, battleground. Welcome to you all. Dead or Alive was created by the late, great Fame Douglas, Helena's father and my very good friend. Fame's will decreed this tournament and as of this year, marking her 21st birthday, Helena's participation. My assistants will escort you to the lab where you will now undergo a complete physical. Once you pass your physicals, DOA begins. Now you can kind of get a vibe for the sort of um, spring break meets uh, Sugar Ray era, you know, late 2000s or late 1990s, early 2000s um, appeal they were going for with that music. And and at the end there, you hear that little computer sound. That's because all of the competitors are stepping into basically a 360 rotating computer generated machine. I mean, it's kind of like a body scan machine that we have now uh, at the airports, but of course it's flashier looking. And I I guess it's supposed to be video game-like it's not necessary, it's it's just telling the audience that uh, it does not take itself seriously. And that's probably a good thing because uh, like I said, the script is not good, the humor is not good, um, but the action choreography is pretty good. Uh, the one thing I'll say against it, which maybe isn't against it for uh, some of you, is it's kind of practiced on a, on a 2D plane. I, I wonder if, It was intentional to make it feel like um, a traditional fighting game, but it's a little limited and we end up getting just um, over the shoulder shots uh, or uh, 180 shots of both fighters at all times. And it just gets a little tiresome, but there's an incredible amount of talent uh, in the martial arts world on here. We have um, Song Ling, Humling, Ling, uh, Anna Bolt, uh, Li Shi, Ying Wang, uh, Sylvia Osamak, Derek Boyer, Colin Chow, Kevin Nash is in this, uh, Brian White, of course, um, Kane Kosugi plays Rio Hibashi, uh, that was a nice touch from Ninja Gaiden there uh, that also works into the storyline, um, Holly Vance, uh, Devin, o- uh, o- excuse me, Devin Aoki, I hate uh, mispronouncing her name, uh, from Sin City, and uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, and Mutant Chronicles, uh, which is a, a fun film with Ron Perlman and Thomas Jane and John Malkovich. Uh, They're they're all here, and they do a great job um, doing what they need to do, which is either um, throwing punches or showing skin while throwing punches, and they do a fine job. Uh, My favorite is the lead is Jamie Presley. She is fantastic in this, uh, adding a little bit of humor to her role does not take it too seriously, which really helps uh, compared to some other people that are over the top. Mugging to the camera, I think that she takes a little bit more subtle, subtle uh position. And of course, if you, if you recognize her name, if you see her, you'll recognize her uh, from My Name is Earl, uh, Torque, uh, and not another teen movie. And my personal favorite, um, next to Mortal Kombat Conquest series where she played uh, Mika, would be uh, uh the, the Journey Absolution. Uh, with Mario Lopez, uh, Riff Tracks did a great coverage of that a few years back. So take a watch of that if you like. But again, the cast is impressive. I can see why they were brought together and why there was buzz about this film at the time with a director like Corey Yoon and uh, this crazy cast of martial artists and TNA. But it, it's it's entertaining, but highly disappointing. If you expect anything particularly sexy or anything particularly tense, you will not get it. But if you just like watching a a myriad of of fight scenes strung together by sometimes cringe-worthy plot, then it's worth it. And to production's credit, they actually make Eric Roberts' fight scenes pretty believable, uh, if that that can be believed at all. So um, that brings us to our third film here. Sonic the Hedgehog, no, not the Sonic the Hedgehog with Jim Carrey that has recently uh, graced television screens and streaming platforms. We are talking about the Sonic the Hedgehog anime, OVA, which stands for original, um, uh, original video, series, something like that. Uh, You can Google that on your own. I don't have to do everything for you. Uh, The Song of the Hedgehog, the movie, uh, is from 1996. Uh, Like I said, it is animated. It is an anime film. It is actually two uh, roughly half-hour episodes that were just sort of um, sold together as one continuous hour-long uh, feature in the US. Um, that is not to say that it's choppy. It is one story that just happened to be made in two episodes, as is often the case with OVAs in Japan as they're um, shown on television. The plot, I feel, uh, and I think at the time, especially of this release, a lot of uh, Sonic the Hedgehog fanboys uh, agreed with me was uh, was a nice interpretation of the games. We have all the characters here for the most part, especially from the the core early games uh, which the series started in 1991. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog was sort of made by Sega to compete with Mario and uh, this this is a good interpretation. Uh, The the land, the areas look like areas from the game imagined as actual places. Eggman or Dr. Robotnik here in the U.S. is uh, the villain. He looks like him. He he acts like him. Uh, he's rotund and uses lots of gadgets like him. Sonic runs real fast. He spins into a ball. Uh, his his buddy Tails has two tails that spin and make him fly. And Knuckles, the echidna are there, uh, sort of the uh, bare knuckle brawler kind of vibe. It all fits. And the the plot is sort of, centers around Robotnik's plan to take over these uh, two areas of the world that these characters inhabit by uh, creating Metal Sonic. And Metal Sonic has found its way into the games as well. And uh, it's great. The animation is is nice. Um, It's not uh, Studio Ghibli by any stretch, but it's also uh, above par for most uh, series animated shows. Perhaps in recent years, that's changed. Uh, But this is This is worth it. Let's take a listen here. Um, I will say these are the American voices uh, that were chosen. And, well, I'm just gonna say that they take some getting used to, but I did get used to them. And actually, now I think about them uh, in these terms. So this is Sonic and Tails. Sonic, I finally finished it. See, isn't it great? It's a jet propelled body board. Come on, you wanna try it out? Not right now, thanks. All right, I'll go use it myself. Tails is just like a little kid with his new toy. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. Those voices are so nasal, they are terrible. Uh, Tails is is uh, played by Lainey Fraser, who, um, if her lovers of anime, have, have probably heard her. Um, she was the English voice for the Chocobaba in Final Fantasy Unlimited. Um, Devil Lady, she's been a, a couple of voices in, I believe at least one, um, there's Legends of Crestania, there's a lot uh, in here, New Fish of the North Star, she was Yura. that's what I recognized her from. I understand what you're saying, it's very nasally, but let me tell you something, if we can get used to Mario's catchphrase being, it's-a-me, Mario, then we can get used to Tails sounding like uh, he has a chronic sinus infection. So um, it's clear also that for the American version, the uh, the voice of Sonic is, it is, uh, not Steve Urkel, but it's close. Uh, which, of course, is Jamil uh, White, who played uh, the voice of Sonic in sever- in the American initial cartoon series, which is just super goofy and, and not based off the games almost at all, uh, and some other iterations. So it's made to to be close to that, and I think that that's a good job. Martin Burke is that voice, and uh, again, lots of lots of anime series, Ninja Resurrection, um, the the series um, is has him as well as uh, Tokisada Shiro. So you may recognize this if you're an anime fan, and if not, you're just a Sonic fan, then really give these a listen. Um, the the script is pretty good. The story is pretty good. Um, the story is is penned the Japanese version. Uh, I guess the story is the same for the American version as well as Masashi Koboto, uh, who did Orphan, or uh, Sorceress Stabber Orphan, if you look at the, the Japanese uh, translation of the name, and The Soul Taker also, both both worth a watch. Um, directed by uh Kuzunori Ikigama and really it's it's strange uh not a lot of uh at least over here in the states, not a lot of production or direction after Um, this film, I did an episode of Initial D uh, in 1998, two years after the Sonic film, but other than that, not much, worked in the art department and asked Dr. Rin as a storyboard artist, did actually a fair amount of storyboard material, Um, so I wonder if that's where Ikigami is is now, but I think it's sad, because the directing on this film is pretty good, so I hope hope that there's uh, more uh, on the Japanese side of things than we get here in the States. There's some weird things in this film, it's a little bit, I guess I would say more adult than the other Sonic iterations we get here in the States in that um, there's tension, there's uh, Sarah, who is is the sort of bride-to-be character, ditzy character of uh, Dr. Robotnik or Eggman, and there's weird scenes like Metal Sonic comes up to the floor and she calls him a pervert and, and you know, covers her skirt, things like that that are very anime tropes. Um, it's, it's fine for kids, I would say. It's not over the top at any stretch, but it's just... We, I think, in the US, don't expect to see that in Sonic. It's because there's very few humanoid characters we ever see in Sonic. So, uh, stuff like that's a little odd. However, there's some other stuff that's pretty great. Um, some of the side characters you get to see, uh, Old Man Owl, It's just uh, these are these are great. They it felt like a combination of the Fantastic and I believe still, uh, even though they're ended, they were the longest running co- video game comics series it was Archie's Sonic the Hedgehog, which. If, if you're interested at all in Sonic the Hedgehog, those are the holy grail of Sonic fiction. I absolutely love them. Everyone loves them. Um, it's a real shame that they're gone now uh, because uh, Sega needed the rights back, I guess, for something else. But it's a sad day when, when that ended. But this is a good fix if that's your thing and you haven't seen it or you want to watch it again, definitely check out Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie from 1996 uh, or Sonic the Hedgehog, original title. Yeah, I don't know if you can understand that, but uh, that is Sonic the Hedgehog translated into Japanese. So give these films a watch. I absolutely think they are worth it. Um, there's also some some honorable mentions. Maybe we'll get to another day. There's the Turok Dinosaur Hunter animated film from the 2000s. I did not include that because technically that's more based on the comic books, which the games are also based off of. So uh, Don't DM me saying that that is something that should have been on my list because it's not appropriate for this section. All right. And play some outro music from our friends the Judd, and as always, uh, any clips in this uh, podcast are for you this is only. If you'd like to learn more about Colton Classic Podcast, visit us at Colton Podcast.com. Feel free to donate, we would love you for it. Watch for the uh, soon coming Patreon. Follow us on Instagram at Culting Classic Podcast and Facebook at facebook.com Colton Classic podcast. My name is Nate Wyckoff. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and donate. Donate, donate.